It's time to turn off the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve in the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you've made a movie on your phone or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you have one of the horror writers of our time make a movie about two incestuous cat people? Why, you get the film Sleepwalkers. Sleepwalker. Noun. Uh, nomadic shape-shifting creatures with human and feline origins. Vulnerable to the deadly scratch of a cat, the sleepwalker feeds upon the life force of virginal human females. Probable source of the vampire legend. Chiliacoth or Chillicoth Encyclopedia of Arcane Knowledge. First edition, 1884. I don't know really how to say the first part of that name of the encyclopedia, but this is the description you get at the very beginning of this film from master horror writer Stephen King. Now, as many of you may know, and maybe some of you don't, but this was really his first or maybe second foray into screenwriting a film from the ground up. It was actually based upon an old short story of his that was never really published. Uh, you see, Sleepwalkers, it's kind of a weird film. For me, this is one of the first horror films besides, well, let's say Terminator 2, which is not really a horror film. It's more of a sci-fi action film, but a movie that I got to see when I was very, very young. In fact, I was 12 when it first came out, uh, and I remember going to see it with my sister, who was very big into Stephen King at the time, and we had to convince my parents that it was going to be okay for us to see it, because, of course, this film is rated R. And it's not really rated R for the normal things that you would think when you think of a Stephen King film. Uh, not necessarily for the violence, more for the language that was used in the film. There's not really any, well, say nudity to speak of, except for a couple of disturbing scenes when we look into mirrors and we see the cat people. But, for the most part, I guess you could say because it's a Stephen King film, it should be rated R. Now, I kind of argue the fact that this is the first film that he screen wrote. Uh, a lot of people seem to say that. I kind of think that Maximum Overdrive is a little more in that area. Uh, but that film in itself was actually the first time that he ever, and I think the only time ever, he directed one of his own films. So, here we are. We're at the beginning of Stephen King month here in 2017. And I'm very excited to have this be the first film in the line of four Stephen King films that I'm doing for March. Uh, and the other films, uh, if you don't know already, are going to be uh, Dreamcatcher and 
the aforementioned Maximum Overdrive. And because of the voting and everything went down, Creepshow is the last movie that we're going to do. It's not the last chronological of the films, but those are the four films that we're going to do. Now, at the end of this episode, I'll tell you what the next film's going to be and my reasoning why doing it and why not picking one of the other two to go with. I think you'll understand, but I really wanted to start with this film. And the reason that I want to start with Sleepwalkers is just because of my connection to it. Uh, The disclaimer is going to be right in the beginning. Uh, I really enjoyed this film uh, when I was younger. And, you know, going back through it, it wasn't as terrible as maybe a lot of people say that it is. It is not a good movie. Hands down, this is like the cheesiest of cheese. It's got the perfect amount of puns and stupid funny references. It's got really horrible acting to some actually decent acting in this film. And you can see why I like it. And what I want to talk about first before we really delve into are a couple of little fun facts about sleepwalkers now when you look it up on imdb they always have two sections you know there's a trivia section which i I will go through a couple things i thought were interesting but there's also plot keywords that you can look up and you can actually click on these when you go into imdb and you can see what films uh correlate with this movie well the first one (laughs) that you see is mother son incest then the second tag is incestuous sex and then it's based on the works of stephen king small town bodega bay california and there's 167 other ones that i'm not really going to get into i thought it was funny that your very first tag was mother son incest and as we discuss the film uh you'll begin to understand why if you've ever seen this film you already know where that's going I don't necessarily say that that's uh, a good first tag for it because it's not really, I mean, they're not human, right? They're cat-like creatures, cat-human hybrids, cat people, if you will. Uh, They're every anime lover's dream. When you see a cat girl, you'd be like, all right, but these aren't the cat girls that you're all right about. These are the weird, uh, funky-looking uh, they did what whatever they had with their budget, 1992 cat people. Uh, a couple of little trivia things uh, that we see is that the parents of Tanya in this film actually were also the parents of Ferris and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. If you didn't know, those two were actually married until they divorced later on. And it's kind of interesting to see them in another film because they don't quite look the same. I mean, they're only a little bit older. I mean, that movie came out in 1986. This came out in 1992, and it was only six years later. But they look different enough for you to be like, oh, wow, maybe I didn't, you know, I kind of recognize those people. Where'd they come from? It also has uh, the guy from Beetlejuice, the guy that played Otho, uh, in a very small role. And it totally, like, came out. I'm like, oh, I know who that guy is. Uh And there's also, just like uh, King did in this time, he has a couple, well, he himself does a cameo, but there's a couple other people that do cameos as well. And one of the other ones, of course, is Clive Barker. And I'll talk about them when they come up. Uh, We actually have the whole scene that's going to be in this podcast because it's a pretty good scene. It's very funny. The movie itself, it doesn't take itself very serious. It's very lighthearted in the way that it presents itself. It does get down to some of the quote-unquote scarier type of things, and it does have a good air about it, but for the most part, it knows what it is, and it knows what it's meant to be. It's not meant to be this high 
energy, super scary movie. It's more of a fun, scary movie, if you know what I mean. It still classifies itself as a horror, but I would maybe take it out of that realm and maybe move it a little more into the fantasy, maybe sci-fi realm. But because it comes from the mind of Stephen King, it is considered a horror film. Uh, the other thing that you should know, uh, one, the actress that plays the mom, she later stars in Star Trek First Contact as the Borg Queen. And I saw her too, and I was like, oh, you look really familiar, but I have no idea where I can place you from. Went to her IMDb page, and holy shit, there she is. Also, Ron Perlman makes an appearance in this film, and he later on was also in a Star Trek film, Star Trek Nemesis, playing one of the bad guys in that film. Also, our lead heroine, uh, she came from Twin Peaks. That's where a lot of people might notice her from, but she later went on to be on The Witches of East End, which I believe was a Lifetime TV series. And our main character that plays Chuck, or Charles, or whatever you want to call him, uh, he ended up being on Charmed, which is very weird as well. Kind of seeing him go from this to that, but I never watched either of those two shows. Besides, of course, Twin Peaks, uh, and as well as the movie Fire Walk with me. So... I have a frame of reference for her, but it's much later. Like, it wasn't during the time that it was on that I had seen most of that stuff. Uh, it was definitely more in my adult years that I finally went back and watched some of those films, uh, as well as that TV show. Uh, so, it's very weird to see these types of people uh, in this film to have other types of careers outside of this pretty terrible uh, horror movie. Also, uh, this was an unpublished Stephen King story, uh, if you didn't know already. So, it wasn't like he didn't have the ideas there and he just wrote the screenplay from scratch. He more or less turned that story into this screenplay. So, with those little bits of trivia aside, let's dive in right into our film. Where we open up on this house, and it looks like it's in California, because you see the beaches and the sun. Uh, and I think it's supposed to take place there in Bodega Bay. So it starts off there, and you start off with these officers, and they're investigating what's going on at this house. Martha and Carl Brody, mother and son. No one's seen them since Tuesday. The car is a Trans Am blue with yellow pinstriping. California license 2CLG592. No one's seen that since Tuesday either. God, I just hope nothing horrible happened to them. They were so close. Ma'am, please step back. Sheriff, what do you think happened? I don't know, but somebody sure doesn't like cats. So what you see as they go up to the house, there's all these cats... And they're all strung on strings like they've all been hung in certain ways. They're all hanging from the neck and some of them are completely torn apart. And what I didn't like that he did with this screenplay, uh, it's probably my biggest gripe with it, is that the fact that we know these people are bad already. There is something very good, but I want to talk about it at the very end of this podcast. And it's a question that I have for everybody out there and see if they agree with what my kind of thoughts are. But here, you're, you already know that whomever these people are that you're going to be introduced to, they're the bad guys. You know, they're not uh, the good people or they're not uh, a mystery, I should say. 
because we know there's going to be bad guys in this film. Of course, you know, we're already told who the sleepwalkers are, and we're told this by that intro, that title card that we see before we actually get the title card of the film. Now, we go about uh, three minutes into it, almost four minutes, I should say, before we actually get the proper title cards to the screen. They go into the house, uh, and they search around, and there's a decent jump scare with a cat. You kind of see it coming, but... I think in the theater setting, it actually works pretty well. because Not because of the cat, because of what happens afterwards. You expect the cat, and then a body falls out of the, uh, the closet, and the cops look and investigate. Jesus. It's a little girl. What's that in her hair? Now, if you recognize the voice there, very good on you. I might give you guys a couple seconds to think about who it is exactly, because this is another cameo in the film, and he's only in it for the beginning of it. Have you thought about it? Can you recognize the voice? Well, that cop, the one that says, A rose, is Mark Hamill. Yes, that Mark Hamill. Star Wars is Mark Hamill. That is Luke Skywalker. That is the Joker himself. Uh, playing a very bit role in this film. And I thought that was kind of cool and kind of interesting because I really didn't recognize him. I had to go through a couple of things and part of that trivia was, hey, Mark Hamill's there in the beginning of the film as one of the two sheriffs or cops or CHP or whatever you want to call them right in the beginning of the film. So from there, discovering the girl who's now looks like she's been like mummified, like all the essence has been drained out of her body and she's wearing a rose that also has... It's like wilting, kind of grayish, too. Uh, and she's the one that fell out of the closet and actually produces the better jump scare than the cat does. Because you're kind of expecting the cat, oh, God, that's going to be a cat in the closet. And it turns out that it's not just the cat, it's also this girl, too. So we then go along to our title card, and there's all these really weird pictures. You see a cat lady breastfeeding. Uh, you see like a leopard with a human head. Uh, and again, this title card sequence tells us a lot about uh, the history of the sleepwalkers or the, the fact that they do exist and what people's different depictions of them are. From old Egyptian like statues to paintings and you, you know that these things have existed for a long time and it's not just going to be a big surprise uh, when you finally do find out who these cat people really are. So we go from the the fun of California and then we go all the way to Indiana where we're introduced to the song that's constantly going to be stuck in your head, Sleepwalk by uh, Santo and Johnny. I know there's a version that people kind of associate with Richie Valens, but really, Santo and Johnny are the ones that wrote the song and performed the song. And Richie Valens actually got the rights to it so that he could write lyrics to it, but he never actually finished them before he passed away. And a lot of people know when watching the film La Bamba, that song actually is prevalent in that film as well. Uh, but it wasn't written by him, though it's accredited to him. Uh, constantly, even when you, when you, I went out and looked, uh, just on YouTube to figure out, oh God, who wrote this song, who played this song, uh, a lot of those channels, when they, they did the songs, um, it references back to Richie Valen rather than to Johnny and Santo. 
So we also pin upon one of the hunkiest of hunks here in the film, and this is Charles. And Charles is looking through a book, and then he begins to carve a T on his arm. And it's like T for time to go, or T for that's great, or T... Oh, it's T for Tanya. It's somebody that's in the yearbook. He's already began creeping on very early in the film, and we're going to understand why a little later. We go downstairs, and we're introduced to his mom, who's staring out the window, and she's watching a cat slowly walk upon the house. Hi. Shh. You can't hear us. Shh. Come on. He'll be back. You always get him sooner or later. Dance with me. I don't want to dance. I'm sure you do. You love this one. So... The cat trap actually missed and that pissed off the mom. So now we know who these people are. They're the sleepwalkers. It's really apparent and it kind of sucks. That's that's what I'm talking about. We have all this lead up to these mysterious creatures. We know who they are. They have the same names as the people that we were talking to. Charles Brady and Mary Brady that we heard from from the cops in the beginning of the film. It's really just kind of shitty. It would be nice if they were more of a mystery. And when we saw some of the stuff that does happen later in the film, that would be that oh shit moment where, you know, they are the sleepwalkers that we've been talking about or that we've been learning about. And instead, it's just thrown and thrust right in front of us. Hey, these people, they're the same people because there was all those traps for the cats in the other house. And now they're here. All the cats are starting to come upon this house. And there's a ton of traps. Why they're afraid of cats other than the cats, like, being able to kill them and scratch them and give them cat scratch fever. Oh, God, that fucking is stupid. Ah. Uh. Get it? Because they can get killed by the cats, and we'll talk about that later, too. It's it's honestly one of the dumber things of the movie. I'm not saying that this movie is very smart, uh, but it's just like how... Like, how do the cats themselves know that they're there? Like, they all have this sixth sense that once they move into the town, oh, fuck, there's a ton of cats. Uh, and the cats are like, shit, we know those people. We got to kill them. Why do the cats want to kill them? I don't understand. that. That's one of the things that maybe should have explained to us why these people and cats just don't mix other than cats can kill them. So cats are just basically assholes and just like, we don't want to live with these people. Uh, we're just going to kill them. Maybe they don't even really know about the whole thing. They only feed off humans. They don't feed off cats. Maybe they know that they've killed a bunch of cats uh, earlier on uh, throughout their lives and they're just avenging their fellow feline brethren and sister. I don't know. That part, I can't really understand. I know why they're afraid of the cats, but I don't know why the cats all of a sudden have to start swarming on them when they really haven't done anything. Like I said, I guess cats are just assholes. So, she explains everything to him that she's cooking him tonight for dinner. And man, she has got a laundry list of shit that she's making. It's like a about a 10 course meal that she's giving him. And man, it makes me so fucking hungry. Especially right now, man. I really could go for that pumpkin pie that she was going to make. Ah, uh, man. The problem, the only thing I think with it, it might not be just pumpkin. Especially if, uh, you know, they hunt down humans. You know, there might be something in it that uh, I don't necessarily want to eat. Uh, so, to that 
there you also get a view of their weird relationship because as they're talking she starts like slowly dancing with him and putting her arms around him it's very uncomfortable and then she asks him hey what are you going to be doing tonight going anywhere tonight to the movies maybe with a friend with a special friend Uh, i'll buy my lonesome oh don't ask your mother Actually, there's a girl that works there. I thought I might ask her out. Oh, you might? She's pretty, too. Is she nice? I don't know. I guess I'll find out, won't I? Jealous? Concerned. No, she's really jealous of the fact that he's going to go out and he's going to try to go and get some random girl out there and maybe mack on her. Maybe get some of that sweet, sweet, you know, teenage poontang that's out there in this little Indiana town. But they then start making out. And God, is it a little uncomfortable because you know the status of these two. That's his mom. That's her son. And then... uh, Okay, making out, I can... Oh, God. No, 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 no. They go upstairs, and of course, they start to fuck. And we get to have glimpses of their, like, cat human bodies as they're basically in the throes of making love. And when we go look outside the window, all of a sudden, there's, like, this purple glow. Now, what we may mistake as them having sex, we kind of get a sense of feeling was maybe this is the way that they transfer something between them because that purple glow isn't natural. And we do learn more of about it later in the film, uh, especially when we get Tanya, who is our heroine, and Charles alone. Uh, we do, And this is getting a little ahead. We see how energy is kind of transferred. So... We know past then that this is the way that energy is transferred between son and mother. It just is really wrong. And I guess we have to be kind of okay with it because they're cat people. They're not real people. This isn't a real mom, a real human mom, and a real human son. But she's overly protective to the point that she definitely has some type of feelings for her son since they seem to be the only two people that we know of that are sleepwalkers. And if they are truly the last two, she is a little overbearing and she's definitely in love with her son because later on she says something uh, that kind of proves that point. So he goes over to the, the theater after he's already fucked mom or whatever with mom and uh on the the screen they have two movies listed up on top of the theater and they're both horror movies first one's they bite and the second one is scream dreams i think scream dreams is kind of a play on scream queens and they bite is kind of like a either a they live or uh it's somehow connecting to uh a vampire type of uh homage i i kind of want to think that uh you know scream 
dreams being kind of a scream queen homage to the film women in film type of thing and they bite maybe kind of they live to uh honor mr carpenter uh and see you know kind of get those two things stuck in your head the other thing that kind of got with me was the fact that the cost to see a movie for an adult at night is five fucking dollars five dollars this is 1992 that's ridiculous. I can't believe how cheap that was compared to go seeing a movie today. I mean, yeah, the popcorn was probably also priced up, but instead of the amount that we pay right now, what, went and saw a fucking movie last week, you pay $12 to go see the fucking movie, and luckily $12 isn't too bad, but that's like a matinee fucking price, and then you go buy popcorn and a drink, and that's another $12, so that's $25 just to go see a fucking movie? I, oh, okay. Calm down. Getting on a tangent. Getting on a tangent. So we meet our heroine here, Tanya. And she's working in the lobby. The guy comes in from the outside. Looks like he's one of the ticket takers. Because, of course, this is like an old school, small town type of theater. Where in the front, they've got the guy that does all the tickets and everything. And he's in the little booth. Uh, and then he comes inside. He looks at her. And she's, like, cleaning the floor, right? And, of course, uh, Do You Love Me comes on slowly in the background and it takes over you know you have that transition from oh you're just kind of listening to it from the outside of her really crappy walkman to it then takes over the whole soundtrack of the film and then she just starts dancing dancing with the little uh you know that little broom thing it's not quite a broom but you rub it along the floor and it has little sticker sticky type things that brings it into the trap and then you know you just rub it so she's doing more dancing like she's a stripper dancing on a stripper pole than she does actually fucking cleaning like nothing is getting picked up on the goddamn floor and nobody's saying shit to her because well honestly she's kind of cute and you know there's nobody really there to tell her hey make sure you do your job right i mean even the fact of the man is that she's able to put on head phones and dance around inside the goddamn lobby and use that thing to clean and nobody says anything tells me that there's nobody really watching her and the management of this fucking theater sucks i imagine most of those floors being super sticky that there's popcorn fucking everywhere and nobody really takes care of what's going on and this is what's wrong with oh okay i'm gonna stop i i need to get off these fucking tangents all the goddamn time so of course charles comes in and he scares the living daylights out of Tanya, causing her to bump into the popcorn machine, drop a bunch of popcorn for the top to make the floor even dirtier because she hasn't really done anything yet. And he turns into, like, complete stalker mode right away. I don't suppose you'd like a ride home after work tonight, would you? Um, my dad picks me up. Nice dad. Besides, what would your girlfriend say if you gave the popcorn girl a ride home? No girlfriend. I'm new in town, remember? Well, thanks. See you in class. Well, I guess that's kind of one way to introduce yourself or at least talk to the girl. You don't really want to go up to her and say, Hi, my name is Charles. I just fucked my mom and now I'm trying to score with you. That doesn't really work very well, I think, with most women. I think with all women, pretty much, that would not be the way that you'd want to approach them. Hi, I'm incestuous. Are you into that? Because if you're not, I'm going to leave. So, she works to the end of her shift. Her dad comes and picks her up. And then we see Charles. He goes over to his car and he leaves the theater. After he's kind of stalked her the entire way. And he goes home. 
We follow him home, and he finds out that his mom's had a run-in with a cat, and there's a deputy out there who makes a really stupid joke. Cat? There's <laughs> <laughs> one hissy fit, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm sorry, officer. It's late, but this allergy is so severe. Yeah, I know. I got one, too. Mine's the IRS. <laughs> Y'all have a good night. Thank you, officer. Again, because the film at that point kind of points out and tries to make it like, hey, these might be the people from the beginning of the film, if you didn't notice. It's like, really? Oh, yeah, I didn't know that these are the same people that were at the beginning of the movie that didn't like cats. I, I just don't get it. Why do you want to pretend that we don't know who these people are, but at the same time, we know who these people fucking are? Back inside the house, of course, the mom asks the really weird questions, uh... <laughs> And also, whether or not he got anything out of the girl. Am I beautiful? You're always beautiful, Mother. So, did you ask this mystery girl out? What kind of a girl would go out with the guy she just met? Not a very nice one, I suppose. Okay, so we're trying to prove the fact that she's... Tanya is a very quote-unquote pure girl. It's not necessarily a slut, as some might say, or a slut or a whore or a you know wannabe baby mama, whatever you want to use as an adjective for that. Uh, the fact of the matter is that, yes, you can't ask a girl like that out right away, but there's definitely something with the mom that's kind of weird at this moment. It's either that she's insanely jealous that he's going after a girl or there's something more sinister going on here, if you haven't catched that yet. It's very up in front and in, in your face with a lot of the way that, that this thing is written. It's very... she. It's amazing. I mean, I can believe that she can play the Borg Queen because even with this style of acting, she can be kind of wooden and everything. But with this, it's just a little too melodramatic and it gets worse as the film goes on. So we fade from here, we fade to the next school day, and we see that Charles is there, and he's telling the story of the sleepwalkers to his class. They were sleepwalkers, hiding in human robes, feeding on virtue, loving to feed, feeding to breed. So in the end, they ran. In the end, Robbie and his mother always had to run. For one night, the men would come in their old cars, men with lights and guns. And to the boy and his mother, their curses and their screams of rage always sound the same. Like the laughter of cruel gods. The time of happiness, too brief to be anything but golden, had run out. Of course, in this scene, Tanya is the very first one to clap. And then the rest of the crowd, or the class, I should say, joins in on her. We go and have a little side thing where this guy is passing note, trying to pass a note to another girl, and the professor, who again is Otho from Beetlejuice, uh, he intercepts it and looks at it. And the drawing for a guy that's supposed to just be like a horn dog teenager creep type guy draws extremely well. I mean, he's drawing and asking whether he, she wants to go out to this graveyard and bang, but it's very detailed and it's very well done. How long did it take him to do that? Did he spend the entire time that Charles was telling the story to draw it? Has he drawn it from the night before and just brought it in, put his name on it, and made sure to pass it over? Or did he do it in 
the span of the beginning of the class. We don't know. He did a really good fucking job. I mean, if that guy is going to do anything else, he should be a fucking artist. He doesn't need this fucking class. He could be drawing comic books in a couple of days just based upon the work that you see inside this fucking movie. We also get a very weird close-up of Otho here. And it's like right in your face where he slams down the ruler and then he's right there yelling at the kid and telling him, you need to pay more attention in class. And it's just a weird close-up. Like, why does it need to be done? Uh, other than for maybe a little bit of emphasis and maybe to prove that this teacher's kind of an asshole, but you don't really need it, to be honest, because the way that he plays the part plays it like a fucking asshole. You know, you don't need to have these weird shots when everything is basically playing out by the actor himself. I got that without having to have this shot in fucking front of me. So, of course, he reflects back to the class and sees if anybody has any thoughts about Charles' story, which, of course, Tanya does. All right. Any thoughts on Mr. Brady's sleepwalkers? Miss Robertson. I liked it. You liked it. It was different. I thought it was very sad. Sad? Why? Because they were always driven away. Because they were such outsiders. I think Miss Robertson might be on to something. Now, we all understand that a story has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? But that's like saying a box has four sides. Actually, Mr. Fellows, a box has six sides. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, that makes a fool out of the teacher, and he starts getting that really weird, like, I don't like you very much, new kid. You showed me up in class, and something's probably going to happen to him. We also have Tanya, the entire time that he's talking in this scene, she's basically eye-fucking Charles from across the room. But of course, she's the pure one, right? Well, the conversation that happens with her two girlfriends basically kind of says she's ready to get down and fuck. You've actually talked to him? Yeah, he's nice. Real nice. I'm serious. I can see that. Well, what happened? Did he ask you out or anything? Nothing specific, just a maybe. We just talked at the theater. That's all you would have done anyway. What a waste. Well, excuse me, but what would you have done? Everything. (laughs) Everything. (laughs) Well, I might have plans of my own, and they just might include Homeland. Yeah, right. I can just see you in the backseat at Homeland. Of course, you know, she's been the goody-goody all along, and now she wants to be the not-so-goody-goody and have her fun with Charles. Charles also interrupts them at the end and scares the crap out of her, uh, and makes me wonder, how did he find her so fast? Can he, like, sniff her out? He knows exactly where she's going to be? Uh, or is it just fucking coincidence that I'm thinking too much into it? Of course, he starts to put on the charm because he wants to make sure he can get some of that sweet, sweet Tanya. Uh, whether he wants that Punani or whether he wants something else is kind of a little up in the air at this point. But he does try to sweet talk her to make sure that they do go out this weekend. I, uh, I also wanted to thank you. For what? For what you said in class. I mean, you really nailed it. (laughs) No, you did. 
So thank you. I think I know how they feel, the, um, what are they called? Sleepwalkers. Sleepwalkers. At least sometimes I feel that different. Are we really supposed to kind of feel for Tanya at this moment? Because it's very painfully obvious that he's a sleepwalker, right? Everybody knows it. She doesn't know it. And she's a little obtuse about it. But to be honest, like, she feels sympathy for the characters that he's talking about. When, of course, we know he's talking about him and his mom. Uh, Also, she seems to be very impressed by the fact that he can jump into his Trans Am. I mean, he opens the door for her to take her home, but when he jumps over that door right into the the seat and gets ready to drive, she's like, wow, and you can honestly think that maybe her jeans have been creamed at that point. But that is an honest question at this this point of the film. Are we worried about Tanya because we know that there's something sinister and we know based upon the title card that we saw, the very first card that we saw, that they go after virginal girls. So we're safe to assume that she is some type of pure, innocent, virginal girl. And she really hasn't done anything. And all of a sudden, Charles comes into her life. And it's like, that's the one that's got to take my virginity, like, right away. Like, is she so worried about it? Like, is she so goody-goody about it? What is it that makes her different now than when we first met her at the beginning of the film i mean there's not a whole lot that's been different because she's kind of been eye fucking the entire time that she's seen him it's just like is there something that just oozes from him or is it an ability that he has is it something to do with it what is it why does she have this desire now to be with charles and to do stuff when she's never done anything with anybody before especially with her girlfriends saying straight out that you're too much of a goody goody and do we believe that she's that naive to the whole situation or she really just wanted to give herself up so do we feel sympathetic to tanya at this point in the movie i lean still a little bit on the yes side because we don't know exactly what they need we know what we saw at the beginning of the film And we know that she doesn't have any knowledge that we have. So she's just thinking, hey, this is a very sweet and charming guy. And I can trust him. Maybe that's one of the faults of her character is that she's a little too trusting. And maybe it's just the way and the fault that she's written where she's just really aloof. And that's the character that we've got to deal with. Because the fact of the matter is he does drive her home and she brings him inside like right away. If you were that naive, see, this kind of counterbalances the whole naive thing. But if you really that naive, would you let him in right away to see your room? And we get this really stupid fucking scene where she's got her. Of course, she's a teenage girl and fucking has, you know, her unmentionals all of this fucking mess of a room. I mean, come on. You could have picked it up honestly you know don't let your mom do everything for you don't let you know when she says clean your room clean your fucking room i don't need to see your bras and panties all over the goddamn place and that's what he walks into but he completely ignores it he had to have seen that shit just hanging out there but instead he tries to focus on because he's trying to be very smooth and conscientious and and get her attention in the right way he looks at the other stuff that like what can i use against you he's this creepo stalker guy without you know being the without being a creep right he's a charmer so he looks and he tries to find the charming stuff that he can and so he looks to a photography and of course every hot girl has got to be a fucking photographer 
Oh, Jesus Christ. There's so many fucking stereotypical things that are brought there. She's cute. She doesn't clean her room and she thinks she's great at photography. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. So, of course, you know, there's that whole hide and seek aspect. She's got her really lacy. Again, how does she have those types of panties in her room? Honestly, if she's a teenager and she's not going out and buying her stuff from mom's like, hey, oh yeah, cool. You know, if you want those things to have the frilly lace and it's a thong and it's a see-through in the crotch, I'm totally cool with that. Because you're only going to wear those to school, right? And you're a fucking innocent virgin girl that doesn't think about fucking sex, at least up until this point in the movie until you think about this guy. So there's no reason that you should have these fucking panties in your possession. (sighs) But I digress. He looks over the wall and he tells her what's his favorite picture. And then he asks her about Homeland. You know, I'd really like to see how you see a photograph before you take it. I mean, you don't even know me, but... Well, um, actually I was going to shoot at Homeland tomorrow if, if, well, if you want to come. It's Homeland. Oh, it's a, it's an old graveyard. Really? It's neat. I love old graveyards. Sweetheart, Mom. Oh. Of course, Mom comes in to cockblock him at the moment that he's going to lean for a kiss from her. uh, Because she really wants that as well. See, it's weird because he's charming her to lead her on and to get her in a situation that he can do whatever he needs to do. Because, of course, his mom's really fucking crazy. But she's trying to lead him into a situation to where the two of them can be alone and he can get busy with her. So there's this weird thing that's just going on between the two of them that if he just straight up would say hey let's go fuck she would be kind of cool with it you know that's the way that i kind of see the situation of course the mom comes in ruins the whole thing and then she gets very suspicious about what's going on uh before this he saw some charcoal drawings on the wall well charcoal imprints you know when you take like the piece of paper and you go to the cemetery and you take a piece of charcoal and you rub it against the paper and then you see the imprint of the gravestone on the piece of paper well he saw some of that and his mom or her mom i should say did that specifically uh and had some weirdly hung upon the walls of their house i really don't know if i would have this hung up right like Why do you want to see somebody else's tombstone inside your house? And it doesn't take a lot of artistic license to go... Ah, fucking masterpiece. I'm gonna hang that on my fucking wall. It looks so great. Man, I just fucking put chalk all over it. Or charcoal, I should say. Not necessarily chalk, because then it would be white and you couldn't really see it. And of course, when she starts asking him about what they're doing because he wants to go out with her tomorrow to this homeland place, she wants to take him there so she can go to Bone Zone. And mom, of course, wants to stop it from happening. But this is where Charles gets to be his smoothest. You see, I, I do rubbings too. Not quite as fine as yours, but I figured there must be some old slate gravestones out there. Uh, yes, as a matter of fact. Um, in the old section near the woods. Tell me, Charles, do you use powder or stick? I use stick, usually number five. Really? Don't you find that a little hard? Yeah, but uh, I'm clumsy, you know, powder's so messy and everything. (laughs) Tell me, Charles, where do you live? Uh, 66 Wicker Street. And your father, what does he do? Uh, He's dead, Mrs. Robinson. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, It was a long time ago. Well, um, the brands will be uh, coming to dinner tomorrow night, so be back by five, okay? Okay. She will be. 
Oh man, Charles, way to use your dead father to make sure that you're going to be able to go out because you know she stuck her foot in her mouth when she asked you about that. And then when she found out that he's dead, it was like, oh, I guess I gotta let them go out together. I really, my daughter's a good girl, right? She won't go off and do anything strange like try to get the rub down from here. There's so much innuendo in that whole speech of his. You know, it's actually pretty good like the way that uh brian krauss who plays charles does that like he's probably one of my favorite things of this movie because he plays that role so well he knows when to be charming and he knows when not to be uh and he gets a little silly towards the end of the film but in general the smooth stalker creeper killer type of thing he's got going on it's fantastic i mean he knows exactly what to say he knows exactly what to do and his role was written very well Uh, tanya on the other side not so well written and the rest of the characters again not so well written um so he they're totally cool with it uh she tells him okay we're gonna meet up tomorrow and uh then we'll take you to the you know the graveyard this homeland place and he's like okay cool i wish something else had happened but uh you know we've at least got a plan now great uh so he takes off in his car and she goes back inside the house and then we get the most unsubtle of subtle music that i've ever heard used in a soundtrack it's ridiculous i mean when you use music i feel at least in with most film you use it to create an air of subtlety Either it has something to do with the scene, or it meshes really well with the action that's going on, or it tells part of a story in the background. Well, they used a song by Extreme, and I'm going to play you about 10 seconds of the song, and let's see if you can notice the subtlety in this music. Mind you that this music is going on with a couple close-ups of Charles in these scenes. So you have It's a Monster blaring while you're staring at Charles. What? What? Like, come on. I know that wasn't written into the script. I certainly hope, Mr. King, that you did not write that in there specifically. I know it could be very tongue-in-cheek, just like this movie pretty much is. But honestly... It's a monster. Yeah, it's a monster. It's a monster. Yeah, it's a monster. So, okay, he's a fucking monster. Again, I the 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 greatest thing for this film I think would have been for it to be more subtle about him being the fucking monster. But, of course, that is not anywhere near this film. So, while he's driving down the road, he's being chased by a VW Beetle. And there's been a lot of cars kind of behind him. But eventually he looks back and he's like, huh, what's going on there? And he pulls over. Why in the love of God, why he ever would pull over for this Beetle, I don't fucking know, but he does. And of course, who's in the car? Why, it's Otho. Well, actually, it's Mr. Fallows. But for this case, I'm going to keep calling him Otho because that's what I fucking remember. Uh, And he has come upon Charles and he has figured out something and how he figures out and why he's going after one I imagine it's because he made a fool of him in the theater or in the classroom I should say uh 
And two, I think he wants some of his little man juice as well. So, hey, well, we'll just let uh, Mr. Fallows take it over. Mr. Fallows. Hi. Hello, Charles. Checking out your new environment. Boring, isn't it? Disneyland for cows, but for human beings? Well, I like it. It's kind of peaceful. Reminds you of Ohio, I suppose. Yeah, well, you know. No, actually, I don't, Charles. I don't know. And you don't either. There is no Paradise Falls in Ohio. Your transcripts are also fakes. Clever fakes, but fakes. Anything to say? You're mistaken. Oh, no, I'm not. But you are, Charles. If you think you can wiggle out of this. I don't know who you are, but I know you're not who you say you are. If this is blackmail, Mr. Fallis, I think you picked the wrong guy. This car is the only expensive thing I've gotten, and I'm kind of sentimental about it. I don't think I can sell it. Still, oh, I'm through with you. Your generation is so mercenary, Charles. Money this, money that. Well, money is not the only medium of exchange. You're right, Mr. Fowles. People really should learn to keep their hands to themselves. Here's yours. And there are some of the great puns that you're going to be able to hear through the rest of this fucking episode. Because it seems like every time somebody dies or somebody gets hurt or something, they say some really bad joke. And, of course, he, you know, rips off his hand and he hands the hand right back to him. Uh, honestly, I I do really like these. Uh, I can make fun of it as much as I want, but they make me laugh and smile because they're so fucking horrible. Uh, so, he chases after uh, Otho here. And then in the most ridiculous scene, one of the most ridiculous scenes in this movie, uh, is him killing uh, Mr. Fallows right here. And it's ridiculous just because it uses the panning camera like a circling camera as it's coming up. And the way that Charles is biting him and killing him looks so horrible that I I can't even explain it. Like, you really should go back in there. And if you can find the scene on YouTube or you can go to that scene in the film, please watch it. Because I, I cannot do it justice. It looks so horrible and ridiculous and it's so funny that it's fantastic so now that he's been killed by charles we cut over and we get to meet andy and andy he uh has a weird patrol animal in his car we should say weird for the fact that he's a cop uh and well here we'll we'll go ahead and first find out who andy's talking to come on boy come on boy get the Bad guy, get the bad guy, get the bad guy. Come on, Quilvis. Here we go. Get that motherfucker. (laughs) Good boy, Clovis. Yeah, that's a good boy. Oh, Clovis. All right, if you haven't figured it out by that little bit at the end, Clovis is a fucking cat, okay? He's got a fucking patrol cat. This is like, this is this is the feline unit, okay? It's not the canine unit. It's the fucking feline unit. But I love Andy, okay? Uh, that's Dan Martin, by the way. And 
I fucking love Andy. He's probably one of my, the other favorite character in the movie besides Charles. And it's just, you don't get to see a whole lot of him, but just the way that he reacts and the way that he talks and the way that he takes the character, he doesn't take it fully seriously and he doesn't take it fully as just kind of a joke type character. It's great. Uh, And the fact that he's got a patrol cat, well, that's just a bonus, I guess. But it's so ridiculous that he has a cat that goes with him everywhere. He's totally cool driving with him because the next scene that we get is the Trans Am that Charles is in just bolting by uh, at a really high speed and he goes on a high speed chase with the goddamn cat. Now, if any of my cats were to get in my car and we were to chase at somebody at 90 or 100 miles an hour, they would be freaking the fuck out. They would be clawing the shit out of my face. They would be taking out my fucking legs. I don't know if I would survive the whole fucking drive, especially if I'm trying to chase after somebody down the road while he, you know, makes weird turns and almost hits a bunch of kids and everything like that. Uh, It's just crazy that the cat's totally cool and just hanging out i know it's a movie but still if you have a patrol cat and you're able to actually drive with him like that fucking a breathe that motherfucker because maybe we need some more patrol cats on the crime beat well like i said he almost charles almost runs into a group of kids and before andy he's just like no 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 i don't need any backup and of course when he does that he changes his tune son of a bitch report unit three need location I'm out on Pond Road, Laurie, still in pursuit. Bastard almost ran down a little girl. I think he tried to run her down. And I think he's playing with me. Get me some backup. So, of course, they chase each other. Well, he chases Charles a little bit more. And eventually, Charles pulls over on the side of the road. And this is when you find out they have magic powers? Like, we didn't know anything of what else was going on. All we knew was that these people just had left and they went on. And now this does bring up other questions in the film that I get once I talk about this one little point. So when he pulls over the car, he turns the car invisible. And they they call it something, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Maybe even I'm going to talk about that point a little later on because it makes sense when we learn out exactly what the skill is. But for the time being, we've not told that they have this ability uh, and uh, he basically turns it invisible from their eyes, and Andy, of course, thinks that he's lost him. I lost him. How in the hell did I do that? Stop looking at me. Stop looking at me. Stop looking at me, you fucking cat! no you don't you don't know anything of how he feels because the cat can fucking see him so one of the things that happened while they're having this chase that i forgot to talk about was uh it seems like charles is like playing around with him because he knows he can get away right he's got this special skill uh somehow he when he rolled his character he magically got the fact that he can disappear fucking cars so he knows he's got this in his sleeve and he pulls up beside him and when he looks over at the car, the car 
the cat looks out the the patrol car and then he freaks the fucks out because there's a cat and his face does this god 90 special effects trans transmorphing type of thing where he turns into all different things and it freaks the shit out of the guy now not to mention before this he does flip him off flips off the cop before he turns all different types of creatures like his face is different versions of himself and that's when he ducks off at the last minute and decides to to get away from the cop uh i just like i guess and then the fact that clovis the cat he can actually see him so cats have this like sixth sense for these cat monsters and they can see them when they turn invisible. Okay, I, I don't get it. I'm just going to roll with it. Uh, and we're going to go back over now to the police station. And Andy, he's talking to his his boss, uh, the sheriff, uh, Sheriff Ira uh, of the town, or Ira, uh, whichever one it is. Uh, and he explains to him that, you know, uh, don't laugh at me, but there are some things really odd about this guy. Well, you know how I told you I couldn't see him because of how fast we were going, right? Yeah. That wasn't entirely true. How's that? Well, we were both doing 90. I pulled right up beside him. We might as well have been standing still. So you did get a good look at him. Well, no, no, I didn't, because, see, he didn't have no face. Andy, you got plenty of sick time coming. Horace, shut your pie hole. I I mean his face. It it was like a a blur, like, shit, I I don't know. <clears throat> maybe you got some grit in your eye make some water yeah i guess maybe that could have been it andy do me a favor we do get this stampeder just leave that part out when you're talking to the county prosecutor okay anything else andy anything at all yeah there was something clovis here got a good look at him and he didn't like him he didn't like him one little bit. And it was the other guy, too. He didn't like Clovis. It, it was like he was scared of me. Scared of a cat. Okay, Andy, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to call bullshit on you. Because he did, like I said, he flipped you the fuck off and you got a fucking good look at him before he saw the cat. So you know what he looks like. You know what generalization of what he looks like. But I think you're trying to save face in front of the sheriff here. Because if you tell him, dude, he turned into some weird cat monster, he's going to probably not fucking believe you and send you off the force. You know, you got that sick time that, uh, you know, your boy over there was talking about. You might as well take some time off. And that's his boy, of course, is Horace, which is just another deputy that's there. Uh, And what I do, too, I give kudos to Stephen King at this time, especially during this day and age in 1992, for not having Andy be the first person to fucking die off right the first person really to get killed was otho and you know we're gonna wait to see who the second person is which i probably already spoiled but i won't say who at this moment we go back over and of course charles has gone home to mom and you find out when his mom gets hangry she gets abusive didn't get it. no why didn't you get anything i just couldn't what about the girl wasn't the right time tomorrow what are you talking about? Starving, Charles. I need it. You have to get it for me. Oh. 
my poor baby. What happened? What always happens, Mom? Someone saw you. Deputy had a cat for a second or two. He won't believe what he saw. No, he probably won't. Somebody will find the teacher that I dumped in the woods. It's already started again, Mom. Don't worry. Don't worry. But I have to feed you. You'll see her tomorrow. What if something happens to me? You'll starve. We haven't even seen another sleepwalker. Oh, we aren't the last. I don't know that. Yes, I do. I can feel the others. You'll feed tomorrow, and then you'll feed me, and then we'll leave. Nothing's gonna happen. Sure, nothing is going to happen to those two. I mean, they aren't just the antagonists of the movie, and they're not just going to be randomly killed by the end, right? Uh, that's that's kind of shitty writing. Like, if there was going to be a way that maybe... Maybe there was a draft where they get away in the end. That'd be great, but you, you know way the way this is going to go, because it's fucking Hollywood. So, of course, we're going to get another scene of them fucking again. And, and again, we see even more cats on the outside of the house. Now, this goes... Again, I've already talked a little bit about cats, but... I came up with the idea at this point, and I wondered why they didn't do it, and it seems like it's ridiculous. Why not just poison the food? Like, why set traps? Like, is it to scare the cats? Is it to prove the fact that, hey, look, I've killed plenty of your brethren, you need to get the fuck away. But even with dead cats there, there's still a ton of fucking cats, and they keep coming. They just have cat people sleepwalker radar or some shit. Must kill sleepwalker. Meow. Must kill sleepwalker. Meow. You know, that's just... Did they read the Catch on the Rye version for the fucking sleepwalking cats? Like, I, I don't know what's going on here. But why not just put poison in the fucking food? Leave tons of cat food out there with poison. Put rat poison. Put whatever else you want. Then... Cats are going to naturally just go to, mmm, food, I'm kind of hungry, it's here, it's free, I don't have to catch that fucking mouse, because I'm a straight motherfucking cat, and I eat the food, bam, it's dead, you don't have to worry about it, and then all you have to do is go out there every once in a while, uh, get the weed whacker, whack through the cats that are dead on your lawn, and, you know, they become fertilizer, or, even better, Food for the next cats. Because the cats will end up eating their own, right? And if it's already a poison cat, maybe they'll save you some money on your poison. Oh, come on, guys. Idea right there. Just poison the fucking cats. Anyway, so we cut over to the next day, and we have a short scene between Tanya's parents and Tanya, and talking about, oh, she's going out to see the new guy. Make sure that you're back in time. Blah, 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 blah. And she's, of course, like, you know, don't cock block me, Mom. I'll be back in time. Don't worry. I'm a goody two-shoes. Nothing's going to happen. Hee, 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 hee. And we cut back over to Mom and Son, and she's fixing him up, and she makes sure one point that he cannot do with Tanya. And please, Mary, tell us what it is. Does it have to be her? You care more for her than you do for me. You know better than that. Why are you being such a bitch? Because I'm hungry. You cannot be in love with this girl, Jules. Come on, Mary. You know when you get hungry, you turn into an evil cat bitch. Just eat a fucking Snickers already, or... Fucking get somebody else to make food for you. You don't need Charles to go out there and do that for you all the fucking time. But of course, she does. Because as we've... What we can kind of piece together here, and I'm not really spoiling anything that's going to happen, except for maybe in a scene or two, but we know that they feed off of virginal girls. 
And he's the hunter, right? So he's the male cat. Uh, and he's the one that needs to provide for his mom, which means he's the one that needs to go out and get these girls, take their life force or whatever it is, and then bring that and make sure that the mom eats. And so the reason for not falling in love with him, because then he won't do it to this girl, even though he definitely has to do it to that girl. So uh, what happens, though, is that all of a sudden, middle of nowhere, Tanya shows up at the house. And she gets introduced to Mary right away because Mary answers the door. Uh, and then we go through kind of a like a silly little peekaboo type game. Like I don't, I don't know how to really explain it. Um, the best way to, to talk about it is like, you know, those old Looney Tunes cartoons, especially when you had the witch and they're like, they say, actually, we got one of these earlier with a panty hiding scene. Instead of hiding panties, it's hiding the visions of the mom. And honestly, these are visions that I do not want to see. Because supposedly, looking into a mirror, you can actually see what their true form is. And even though she's wearing clothes, her true form has no fucking clothes. So you see some saggy old cat person titties. And you see them right in the mirror and the really ugly makeup and the ugly costume. And oh my god, I just... I don't want to see that. I, I don't need to see cat titties. I don't. Like, why why do we need this? This is why this is rated R. Because in the beginning, she says, damn. And he says, mother, don't swear. But of course, they do swear a couple other fucking times. So, you know, you don't have to worry about it too much. But really, is this why it's rated R? Because we lost a hand and we saw cat titties? Cat titties? Oh, boy. Just, uh, so... They're, you know, they go back and forth. She says some things to her. The Tanya says some things to the mom. It's not really worth listening to. And the one thing that she does does is she cuts a rose and she puts it in her. Oh my God, they're the cat people from the beginning of the movie. Really? <laughs> like, we already know this. We know this. <laughs> We've heard it. From the beginning of the film all the way to now. Why all of a sudden do you have to make this? Like it's such a centerpiece of the scene. The fact of the matter is that she puts the rose in her hair. Well I think to be honest with you. Part of it has to deal with the fact that. You know maybe Charles actually does have some feelings. And doesn't really want to kill this girl. Because she's just that into him. Maybe he's tired of doing it. He doesn't want to be this type of killer person anymore. And it's just like okay. And, but she marks her, so now she has to die, you know, and I get that, I get it, uh, but I don't know why you need to present it in that way, maybe that's more what I'm getting at, anyway, so they leave, and they actually show up at the cemetery, and uh, there's a couple of funny little innuendo scenes, but really, Tanya goes from zero to horror in like five seconds flat. Charles. Do you really feel alone like the characters in your story? Because I do. I know. <laughs> it's wonderful to feel. To feel like you're really with someone. Together. Look, I think we better choose. Don't know me, Tanya. But I want to. See, he's very hesitant here. He really doesn't want to do what he has to do for Mama. He wants to just maybe be with her. Maybe be a normal person. 
All he has to do is go out there, find a mate. Maybe that could make more cat people. Maybe that's what they're missing. If they're human, you know, cat hybrids, I don't want to say at some point a cat fucked a human or a human fucked a cat and this is what happened. Sleepwalkers came out of it. But maybe that's the case and maybe that's what he's thinking here. Also, why is this graveyard used as a makeout park? I don't get it. Or a fucking park. Is it because it's so off the road? Because it's so, like, quiet and small in the woods? You know, perfect place to go take your, you know, underage teenage date and plow the shit out of her? You know, you're also underage and teenage too, so don't get any fucking ideas. Uh, and it's just a weird place to have it. Also, like, the fact of the matter that, like, I want to get to know you is making out with you and or fucking having sex. And there's a funny line that she does say at one point, and he goes off and he's all, it's time to start getting to rubbing on these graves. And she's like, oh, I hope so, too. Some for me, too, or something to that shit. And it's just like, why... What point does she have then in this fucking film other than to be the virginal slut, right? The one that one thing that you want so bad, you want to find a girl that on the outside in front of everybody, she's the perfect woman. She's so pure and nice and everything. I'm not saying every guy wants to find this, but some people do. Uh, and it's like a you fucking unicorn, right? So she's perfect. But then once you get her home and once you get her by herself, she's the biggest motherfucking freak that you've ever seen in your fucking life. She will do anything that you want and only for fucking you. And that's what fucking Tanya is. Because in front of everybody, she's so nice, she's so great, but then when she gets alone with him, like, I, oh, I want to make sure he's going to rub me. I really want to get to know you and your dick up in me. That's just like how she looks at him and how like you feel when you see her and honestly it kind of sucks well once they start making out of course this is how you see he steals the life force out of uh the fucking people and it's through this weird purple light that and it's through kissing uh that he sucks it out of her uh, and of course, she manages to push him off, and now Charles goes from zero to fucking psycho killer in 20 si- 25 seconds. I couldn't breathe. Is this the excitement you were talking about, Tanya? <laughs> right. We do understand each other, Tanya. <laughs> This is just how we live, Tanya. (laughs) Tanya doesn't have to hurt. Don't you get it, Tanya? I need you. I need you to live. Good. Please don't kill me. So now he's beating the shit out of her and throwing around. They tussle for a little bit. And then she hits him in the head with something and he knocks over. Instead, of course, like every other fucking horror trope uh, in the world and not following by that, instead of running away, she goes to look at him to make sure that he's dead. And of course, he pops back up, but she does get the last laugh on him. Get off me! Get off 
Now, Tanya, when exactly did I lose your trust? So she, what she did in that scene when you heard that ah type of thing, uh, she stuck him in the eye with the corkscrews because I guess they were gonna have wine or some shit like that, but they never really had a bottle out there that I could see at least. Uh, and it's a hilarious response that he's just like, fuck my shirt. It's fucking bloody as shit. Like those are the things that I like about this movie. And I still like about this movie, uh, that there's just so much really weird humor kind of mixed in here. And I like the way that scene works out, but she eventually gets away from him and she runs outside of the, uh, cemetery. And as she's coming out, Guess who's pulling up to the cemetery because he sees the Trans Am on the side of the road. Now, what I should also say is that uh, before he left, remember that last scene where he got away and he made himself invisible? uh, He was able to transform another magic power, I guess, that he has, the car into what looks like a Mustang. And then that's what he picked her up in, and that's what was outside there. But when he got stabbed in the face or knocked out or whatever, it turned back into the Trans Am. So, uh... When that happened, Andy, he was able to see it. And he's got Clovis with him in the car, remember? And he sees the poor girl running out. And like Homer Simpson when he was fat and the the nuclear plant was going to go down, you can barely kind of make out what she's saying because she's talking so goddamn fast. (laughs) All right. Help me! Please, somebody help me! Help! Oh, my God! there he got a pencil in the neck or the ear i couldn't quite make out which i think it was ended up being in the ear because when he falls over it goes kind of through uh his head and at that point you kind of think andy he's done for uh there's a little more struggling between charles and uh tanya there in the car but andy's able to get up and shoot poor charles in the back uh and then he ends up dying from his wounds that he's got so poor andy person to die number two uh, he continues to fight with Tanya, and then who comes to the fucking rescue? Why, it's Clovis. And you get one of the most ridiculous scenes. Like, the makeup is pretty good for when the pencil goes through and how beat up he is and looking at the cat thing, all that stuff, the blood and the corkscrew. Yeah, that's great. But once the cat jumps on him, it's so fucking horrible. And, like, it's not even B-movie. It's C-fucking-movie, man. It, it, you can tell that it's totally fake, and he's just fighting with a fake cat, and he's making it attack him and all this other fucking stuff. And it's great. It's fucking fantastic. It's so horrible that it's fantastic. Uh, she gets on the phone with Lori. Uh, well, Lori radios into Andy's car, and he's uh, basically outside, you know, dead. And she tells him, "Oh, he's got to go." Uh, and because the cat scratched him up so much, Charles has got to run. And he ro- drives off in his Trans Am and heads home. And she's able to talk to Lori, and she's getting the people to come there. So we go back over to Charles's house. He d- pulls up. Uh, and he comes inside and he tells him, yes, uh, he tells his mom, 
Uh, you know, it was a cat. These people, they're, you know, it's the same wherever we go. They're never going to accept us. And of course, they're never going to accept you when you try to fucking kill them or steal their life force. What do you fucking think? Like, can't we just live in peace, slowly slaughtering one human at a time or some shit like that? No, come on. You can't expect to have anything if you're just going to randomly kill people, and especially if you're going to attract a ton of cats. So he's dying she's taking care of him uh and at that point we switch over to back to the cemetery and we get the infamous stephen king cameo and i'm gonna play it for you in its entirety hey buddy buddy i ain't taking the rap on this i lock this place up every night it's not my fault if every pervert weirdo well, don't talk to me. go talk to someone in charge i'm busy Buddy. Yeah? Listen, it's not my fault if every horny kid and weirdo pervert comes in here. I lock this place up. I don't need this action. Okay, don't talk to me. Talk to the sheriff. Sheriff, hey. Not now. Okay, so the second guy he talked to, that was Clive Barker. Uh, I originally thought it was the first guy, but I think it turns out that it's the second guy in that scene. And if I'm wrong, please tweet me, DM me, message me, whatever you want. Um, uh, And that part will remain the same in this podcast, but I'll actually know that it was the other guy instead of the second guy. But I believe it is the second guy. So it's a silly little scene, and it's just... It's really not needed, but it's just a way to get him involved in the film and to do his Alfred Hitchcock-style cameo within the movie. Uh, You know, what would be considered the same thing today would be like M. Night Shyamalan putting himself into films that he does as well. He always plays either a small character or a bit part or something like that. Uh, And we definitely will have fun with Stephen King later. So Tanya, she talks with the cops And she explains, you know, what tries to explain to the sheriff what she saw and what Charles is and tries to convince him, hey, he's not human. Like, he changed shape and that kind of clicks something inside of the sheriff's head uh, where he says, okay, well, go take, he's going to have Horace take her home and then we'll come back out there. And she also says, hey, bring the cat along with you because the cat saved my life and I really want the cat around me. Because she's still afraid that it's going to happen. Horace says something stupid about, does the family know that the guy almost tried to rape her? And he says, of course they did. Um, I don't know why that line was in there. It just seems kind of out of place. But I guess maybe it's just to talk more about Horace's character, even though he's not really a main feature character in the film. Uh, We go back over to the house, and uh, Mom is still talking with Charles on the the couch, and he explains to her that... Die, Mom. No. My boy is not going to die. Not ever! Yes, your boy is dying, and he's probably going to die, and I bet you're going to die by the end of this film. Uh, The cops, along with, I guess, State, as well as uh, the local sheriffs, they all go upon the Brady household. And uh, before they can get in there, this is where she explains. Well, she kind of explains it before a little bit, but where she does it, um, she tries to get him to dim. And dimming, I guess, is what makes them not visible within the human 
eye. I mean, that's what makes the, made the car only be able to be seen by the cat and not being able to be seen by the humans. So that's what the magical power is. And he can't do it, so she's the one that's going to be able to dim every, at least the two of them as long as he doesn't move. Uh, which is difficult, especially when you're dying, because, you know, it's involuntary. I mean, you're going to want to breathe and stuff like that to make sure that you stay alive, I guess. Um, and this allows her and her son to completely escape the cop's vision with inside the house. And it makes me believe at the beginning of the film, that's something they might have done as well. Before they left, uh, they may have run upon the house, and they may have actually be dimmed inside the house. Now, I wish that we had learned that they had these abilities later on or what it was called because it really just felt like it was just like tact. Oh, all of a sudden he can do this. Oh, all of a sudden he can change the way the car looks. And it's just a power that they have to change the perception of things that are out there. But it takes a lot of concentration supposedly. So when she's dim, everybody comes inside the house. They can't find anywhere. And the sheriff and fucking Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman, who was like three or four in the credits, when you saw the credits, is finally showing up in like the last 20 minutes of the fucking movie. Okay, what's the point? But he does get, well, I don't know, one of the better lines of the movie. I'd like to set up a couple of checkpoints in and out of town. The perp's history by now, Ira. He killed one of my men. Look, all you got is one hysterical little girl with a very vivid imagination. What about the cats? What about them, Ira? Listen, that little girl needs a good smack on the butt. And if her mom and daddy won't do it, I'll happily volunteer. Stay away from her, Soames. Okay, I don't get... It's an interesting line, uh, and it's kind of... It's kind of funny. Like, I don't want to necessarily put it into that category. Like, I laughed at it. uh, But I can understand where people don't because it's like, okay, she got assaulted by somebody. It's He's saying it because he believes that she's made up most of this stuff, right? And that's why she needs a good smack in the butt because, oh, well, she's made it up and, you know, maybe she's trying to get out of something. But at the same time, you know, you need to take it into a fact that she was assaulted and that's not really that funny at the same time. Uh, but, you know, this is, I guess, Indiana, where cops act like this. I don't fucking know. So they go back over the house, and she, uh, Mama figures that the only way that she's going to be able to bring, make sure her son comes back uh, is by going over and getting Tanya and bringing her back to the house. Because maybe if he's able to get her essence, maybe that'll help him heal is what I'm understanding. Uh, And then eventually he can give some of that back to the mom or give the powers to the mom. Then the mom uses the powers to heal back. I don't fucking know. They don't explain necessarily. She just thinks that the best way to do it is just to go and get the fucking girl. So she goes and gets the fucking girl, right? She shows up to the front of the door and of course the father answers. Hi, I'm Mary Brady, Charles's mother. Charles couldn't come himself. I'll take care of it, Helen. Just stay in the kitchen. Look, Mrs. Brady. But I know he wanted you to have these flowers. And that's when she shoves the vase right into his face. Well, basically cracks it over his face. And he's got these giant scars on the side. Like, you know, it hurt him pretty bad. But 
I don't know if it necessarily killed him. At least it didn't look like it based upon the the action that he took. But I get, I don't fucking know. So she then she goes on a rampage within the house. Uh, and she approaches the mom and asks her to bring Tanya down. If you just call your daughter for me. What? My son is badly hurt. He may be dying. Your daughter tried to kill my Charles. Good. I hope he dies. I hope you both die. I hope you both die and rot in hell. He's my son. My only son. So she breaks her arm pretty badly. Like she basically extends it and then pushes up from the elbow, uh, like the, you know, where the joint is, but pushes it up uh, and cracks it in half. Doesn't tear it off, but you get a good feeling that it's pretty well broken then throws her out of the window by that arm like it's pretty fucking nuts uh but it's not very bloody uh then of course she turns her attention over to horace who's trying to get sheriff ira on the phone uh to get him over to the house travis sheriff's department where's ira horace what's going on out there's a woman here she said she's the brady kid's mother and i think she killed don robertson slow down Horace. there's blood everywhere vegetables no dessert those are the rules so she actually takes a a empty well a kerneled corn on the cob and then stabs poor old horace in the back with it and does that delicious pun now she doesn't necessarily deliver it as well as uh charles does but you know she's a little more earnest with it uh and it's a little more over the top tanya then comes down the stairs and sees that everything's fucked up and sees that Mary's right there. So she tries to escape, but Mary's able to knock her out and drag her out of the house. We go into the outside of the house, and um, we see uh, that there are some cats, and they're kind of running towards the place. Uh, In pops Ron Perlman, and he tries to stop her from moving forward, and poor Ron, he gets killed. So he's only in this film for maybe 10 minutes, maybe at max, but I believe, again, fourth build i know on the imdb page for the movie he's sixth build but if i remember correctly when you watch the title credits he actually comes up relatively early and i was very excited that he was there hell he gets put in front of dan martin which i think gets more screen time than he does well ron puts his hands in front of her face to which she bites off everything but the index and thumb from his hand and then fucking kills him i mean it's a horrible way for mr perlman to go but and it's funny that he shows up twice on this podcast that's really weird i didn't think about that before i started recording this one but uh it's he doesn't really need to be in this film more than he actually is it would have been cool if he had a bigger role maybe if he was the sheriff of the town or something like that but turns out he's just fodder for fucking mary to kill she goes and she grabs uh, the cop cars. And when the, the funny thing is, before she grabs the cop car, the other cops come out of the woodwork and start shooting at her. And she takes one fucking shot at each one of the other cop cars that are out there. And they all fucking explode. Like, she's an excellent marksman and can hit the fucking gas tank of each one of them to make sure that there isn't anything there anymore. She drives off. And uh, in the middle of it... Uh, Tanya wakes up and tries to jump out of the car, to which 
Mary, she grabs her by the hair and pulls her back in and manages to close the door at the same time. And kind of a cool move. Uh, she gets back to the Brady house. And of course, there are way now, way, way, way too many cats out front for her to get out of the car and walk back into the house safely. So what does she do? She fucking guns the car and crashes into the house. She takes Tanya into the living room where Tanya says, oh my God, he's dead. But of course, Mary doesn't believe it. Charles, my beautiful Charles, mommy's home. She was mommy's body. He's dead. Look at him, he's dead. No, he's not dead. He's sleeping. Can't you see he's sleeping? You know what I bet he'd love to do? You liked that. Wouldn't you, my darling? So she wills Sleepwalker, Sleepwalk, I should say, to be played on the little uh, record player upstairs. And it starts echoing through the house. And it's at this point that she turns to Tanya and says, You need to fucking dance with my son. That's his favorite song. Did you know that? I said, did you know that? Yes, it's a wonderful dance. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can see for yourself. What? Dance with him. Dance with With Charles. Dance with my son. So she uses her cat powers. See... I need a list of all the fucking cat powers that they have. Uh, I mean, they can make things go invisible, themselves go invisible by dimming, quote-unquote. They can change the way things look, like how we change the way the car looked. They've got, like, superhuman strength, which I guess could probably come from the feline blood that's in them. Uh, And then they have the ability to make their dead sons dance with the woman that they want them to steal the power from. Because she basically, they can also turn on music when they need to force things to turn on because she turns on the music, right? Uh, So she forces the sun up, and when she does that... It starts, like, dancing with Tanya in a circle. Really weird. She says he's a good dancer, but he's kind of dancing like shit, to be honest. It's like when you have, like, a three-year-old at a wedding, right? And they just get on top of your shoes, they hold your hands, and you're the one moving around in a circle. That's basically what Charles is fucking doing in his cat form at this point. But he does manage to wake up and start stealing the life out of Tanya. To which, I guess he wasn't dead. I mean, I looked at the body a couple of times, and it definitely looked like it was dead. But his chest seemed to be rising like he was breathing, right? Because probably the actor inside really needed to get some air because that suit was probably really fucking hot. So he starts still in life. Of course, Tawny ain't having any of that shit. And then she gouges his fucking eyes out like she presses her thumbs and starts making it bleed. And that, of course, pisses off Mary. And she starts going on a tirade. Uh, Sheriff uh, Ira shows up. And uh, he first goes in there and he shoots a shot at Mary. And then she turns around. And when he finds out that she's that cat monster, he's like, oh, fuck, we need to get the fuck out of here. So they start getting the fuck out of there. Tanya goes into the cop car uh, and gets But the sheriff gets knocked away uh, by 
Mary as the cat thing. And so as she approaches the car, he shoots her in the back with a shotgun. Of course, she turns around. Then she goes, she picks him up. And I thought, it's still neat what happens to it. But I really would have been cool. I think in this stage, they might have done it. If she would have picked him up and then, like, split him in half. And, like, let the blood just, like, drain down on top of her. But instead, no. She still does something kind of neat where she takes, uh, lifts him up over her head. And then slams him down onto a fucking wooden picket fence. Uh, which is pretty cool. And she goes back after the car, trying to get at Tanya, and then the cats come to the rescue fucking finally. The cats did attack and allow the, the people to get out of the house. You actually get to see a scene of uh, Mary just grabbing one of the cats and fucking snapping its neck in half. Like, if she's that strong, why is she that so worried about it? But I guess if there's so many cats that eventually, just like in the end of the movie, she's going to start getting scratched up like crazy. And when she gets scratched up, she starts catching on fire. Again, cat scratch fever. Jesus Christ. So she starts just going ablaze. And there's one final jump scare. And then we get the end of the movie with Mary latching herself on top of the cop car's hood. You killed my son! My only son! So she drives off. Mom burns in the middle of the driveway. She somehow, I think Clovis jumps into the car with her. And we get the final scene of the movie with just her and Clovis and the destruction in the foreground. It's just you and me, Clovis. Just you and me. sleepwalkers uh is it a great film uh depends on who you talk to and what you look at it as i think it's a fantastic film to be honest with you it's just the right amount of cheese it's so bad it's good it's got some pretty paper thin characters but hey what do you expect from a lot of stephen king's movies and i it's weird that this is a screenplay that he wrote uh and not just somebody trying to adapt it to maybe make it make more sense than his books do sometime Every once in a while you get a great movie and every once in a while you get a bad movie. And this just happens to be a bad movie. But it is a so bad it's good. Like I said, the only complaint that I have, the biggest complaint that I have, is that we learn who they are right away. Now, one of the things I said I would talk about at the end of the film or at the end of this podcast uh, that I do want to bring up is whether or not you're sympathetic 
to both Charles and Mary. To be honest, you do not know whether or not they are the last sleepwalkers in the world. So if they're the only two trying to survive, you understand maybe why they're a little more ruthless about how they go about things. Now, the mom doesn't seem very uh, adaptive to change. She seems really adamant about what she wants. She needs to be fed. You need to go get me my virgin sacrifice. And I need to have that fun time with you to get the energy that I need. Whereas he... He kind of questions it, but then he turns a whole fucking 180 and is just like, oh, this is what we are. This is how we kill. And so it kind of breaks that for me. Uh, I am a little sympathetic to them just because of the circumstances from the first half of the film or even the first two thirds of the film because he is really conflicted. Charles doesn't necessarily want to do this anymore. He believes in the goodness of people, but the fact of the matter is... You can't really believe in the goodness of people if you keep trying to fucking kill them, right? That's where I'm not as sympathetic to his character and to their race. Uh, Or I wouldn't necessarily say race, but uh, maybe species is a better way to talk about it, right? I'm totally like, if they are the last ones, yeah, you do not want to deal uh, or you, you need to do what you need to do to survive, okay? They live a very long time. They don't say how long they live. Uh, cats obviously are their mortal enemies. Um, but what, what do we need more from this film to have that connection? I wish kind of they had explored that, that King had explored that a little more in his screenplay. And maybe there was, like I said, maybe there was a different ending where they got away and you just realized that maybe the mother didn't go on that rampage and she just approached everybody and say, look, this is what we are. We're animals. And, you know, we descended from you and from cats, and we just want to have a regular life in this world, but sadly, the only way that we can survive is by doing this. And it's nothing against you, maybe we should have gone for a stray virgin or something like that. Maybe that's not necessarily the way to go about things, but I really do feel sympathetic to their cause, up until the point of the graveyard, and he just totally flips to... Oh, well, I didn't want to. This is what you wanted. This is what you're going to get. I'm going to suck the life out of you. Yeah. That, that's just a bullshit that I see. It's just a way to get you to the end of the movie at that point. And it kind of sucks. And I mean, you can go back to Tanya. I think that if they had talked about it, if there was a way, maybe they could have figured out something with her. Well, maybe I can give some of my life force to you. I don't have to give you everything. And then we can move on like that. And we can just have that type of life. I want to be with you. I want to be your mate. Uh, and we can still feed your mom at the same time. She doesn't need everything. She just needs something, right? So... I don't know. It it could have gone either way. So, final ratings for the film. Uh, The gore factor in the movie, it's more of a 2 out of 5. It has that one scene where, you know, he rips off the hand. Uh, It's got the corn scene, but there's not a whole lot of blood there. The the hands off, the fingers, I should say, off of Ron Perlman, it's just a little bit. um, Yeah, it's it's nothing major. Nothing that you'd be like, oh my god, that's so shocking. It's really kind of cheese ball, but it's very practical effects. It is 1992. Uh, crap factor. It's a four out of five. There's a lot of overacting in this film. There's a lot of shots that don't make fucking sense. Some of the makeup's great. Some of the makeup is fucking horrible. Uh, all the cats, whenever the cats fucking attack, it looks horrible and funny. So 
it's up there. It is a pretty crappy movie. The fun factor, though, uh, I originally was going to go with a 4 out of 5, but I'm going with a 5 out of 5 on this. This is a very fun movie. The puns are very fun. Uh, How cheesy and how bad it is, it's worth watching. So overall, I'm giving this film 4 incestuous cat people out of 5. You will, If you like cheesy horror, if you like things that recognize that it is what it is, uh, it's not trying to be more than it is, then you will really love this film. Uh, as much as I, and like I said, I have nostalgia blinders on because this is, again, one of the first few horror movies that I got to see in the theater. Seen a lot at home, but in the theater, this was one of the first ones that I saw. So it has a soft spot in my heart, and maybe I don't look at it as analytical as I should, but at the same time, even watching this again, to me, with looking at it not necessarily with those blinders but looking at it from an angle of it knows what it is it's a fantastic movie it's so shitty that you just have to laugh and you just have to enjoy the run uh and it's only an hour and like 29 minutes and that's with the credits so you probably got like five minutes of credits it's only like an hour and 24 minutes so it's perfect running time it's relatively quick it moves at a really good pace uh, it maybe needed to be just a little bit longer, maybe to identify ourselves maybe a little more with Tanya or to identify ourselves a little more with the cat people and maybe be a little more sympathetic to those guys. So uh, just I would say tell me what you guys think. Uh, send me either a DM, tweet at me, email me, do whatever you need to do in t- contact with me and tell me what you think about Sleepwalkers if you've seen it before you know, uh, seeing it again for maybe the first time in adult eyes. You never know. Um, so, uh, Stephen King month is going to continue. That means directly the next episode will happen one week after this one. Uh, and you guys are in for a treat. Actually, no, you're not. Uh, so just like everything I do, oh boy, this comes from the suggestion, I should say, comes from follower 610 uh and that is at horror madam uh and i asked her since she was that follower what film do you want me to review for stephen king month and this is that film here's the duddits our dream catcher wish he was here a circle of friendship to the Duds. To Douglas Cavell. To Daddits. A web of mystery. Jonesy? Yeah, babe. You be careful. Be careful of what? A pattern of fear. And where are they all going? It's not where they're going that worries me. It's what are they running away from? Form the design of an alien invasion. I've quarantined the entire area. Nothing leaves alive. I'll tell you what you should be worried about. Our hitchhiker. That's been our greatest fear. Somebody who could pass for one of us. You're not Jonesy. These are Americans. The idea of slaughtering Americans just turns my stomach. 
Come with me, Owen. I'll show you things you wish you'd never seen. That's right, the Stephen King shit weasel inspired, I don't know if it's inspired, but it's definitely infested by shit weasels, Dreamcatcher. Oh, God. This, I'm honest with you, I was actually dreading it. I was trying not to put it on any list. I was trying not to make sure, maybe completely avoid it, because I am not a fan of this movie at all. Uh, it's just so out of place. I mean, it has some great performances in it, uh, and it's got some really ridiculous. It's a little bit too long. It's got some dumb things. So we're going to talk about everything Dreamcatcher in the next episode. And the reason that I placed it second among the list is pretty much precisely that, because there's, there's wacky shit that's funny and entertaining, and then there's wacky shit that's just fucking wacky shit that you can't get around, and that's Dreamcatcher. So my thought was... We do a fun one to start with, which was Sleepwalkers. Then we go to Dreamcatcher. And then we have two more fun films to go through. Uh, and you'll find out what the next film is after Dreamcatcher is relief. I almost said Dream Crapper, uh, which it pretty much is. So thank you at Horror Madam uh, for putting this film on the list. I really appreciate the follow. So, of course, I want to make sure that I do what you'd like to hear. Um and uh, you can always follow our directly on Twitter at Horror Madam. No E at the end of that, just M-A-D-A-M. Um, so I, I thank you guys for listening, and, and hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter, just like Horror Madam does. Uh, it's at T underscore T underscore podcast. Sorry, uh, this is getting towards the end of it, and I can barely talk anymore. Uh, you can always send me an email with suggestions of films. We actually have, I have a suggestion month that's going to come up, but it's only going to be two films for that month, unlike Stephen King. Uh, but that came directly from uh, one of the Facebook followers that we're going to do. Um, I'll, t- I'll bring it out later. I'll leave it as a cliffhanger, as some might say. Uh, but you can always suggest mil- films, and if you have something that uh, you would like to promote or uh, just want to get credit or whatever it is, uh, you know, you can send me that suggestion, uh, get your name on the podcast, and uh, have people check out your stuff too at the same time, uh, which is great because uh, I absolutely love uh, looking at films that people maybe want to hear about or that uh maybe nobody's really talked about before and or something i haven't seen shit uh i've already gotten a couple of those movies that just came from suggestions alone uh so we're gonna look at next week Dreamcatcher. that's gonna be the episode directly following this one uh and then we got two more films right after that to do so it's going to be uh, a very entertaining and fun month. Um, you can also, like I said, besides the Twitter, uh, email me terribleterrorpodcast at gmail dot com, uh, and you can uh, go check out the Facebook page, which is facebook dot com slash terribleterrorpodcast, or check out Terrible Terror Podcast on Instagram. Uh, when I do polls and votings and stuff like that, I'm going to use all three of those platforms. Uh, so I really like to have everybody's and, and I'm really appreciative that everybody that did vote in these polls and posts and everything, everything got counted up. Everybody got to say, and you know, Creepshow just happened to be the winner at that 34%. Uh, 
Uh, so it was very close between all the th- thinner was almost uh, was up for most of the poll uh, until a good late run by Creepshow. Uh, also, uh, if you could rate and review on platforms such as iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, uh, wherever you listen to this at, uh, and then, you know, if you do write a review, tweet at me and let me know, Hey, I wrote a review. Um, why don't you check it out? Whether it's good or bad, I really don't care. Of course I would love a five star review. Who doesn't love a five fucking star review, right? But, uh, you know, at least reviews and such, they help me get seen and they let how help other people find the podcast so next week doing Dreamcatcher. uh thank you guys for joining us and i'll talk to you next time bye-bye